Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you The Seminarians, a dialogue with students from the Pontifical College Josephinum, produced by AM820 to encourage and inspire vocations to the religious life. And now, The Seminarians. Welcome to The Seminarian Show. I'm Jonathan Torres from the Diocese of Charlotte, North Carolina. Joining me are Dalton Irvin from Victoria, Texas, and Gordon Mott from Columbus, Ohio. Let us begin in prayer with the wor- words our Savior taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So today's show, I wanted to talk about um, the three traditional permanent vocations in the church, the states of life that the church um, uh, kind of outlines for us um, that we can choose to grow in holiness um, and closer to God. Um, This topic was kind of sparked by uh, a conversation I had um, a couple weeks ago where a parishioner was talking to me, I was talking to, to her, and she wanted to call me brother. Uh, uh, yeah. And Very she said, common. Yeah, it is. And so there's a lot of confusion, uh, I think, surrounding these states of life. As seminarians, we're studying to be secular priests, uh, meaning we will not be considered, quote-unquote, religious. Mm-hmm. And so brother is the proper title for a religious. Um, so just as a general um, outline, the, the three traditional vocations are marriage, priesthood, and religious life. We can get into later the, um, the, the debated fourth <laughs> uh, way of life, uh, the single life. Um, yeah, because when I learned the vocations in first or second grade religion class, yeah. <laughs> religious life was not a vocation. It was married life, holy orders, and single life. Really? Yep. That's interesting. And I remember because I had to color a picture of each vocation. <laughs> Usually, traditionally, from from at least in my own education, religious life was always that third one, and then the single life was the one that was more debated. Because religious life is single life, is it? This is true. Well, okay, we're going to get into it then. <laughs> <laughs> so it begins. <laughs> but um, so in marriage, you have um, what we call uh, the lay, the lay vocation. The priesthood would be clerical. Um, religious life would be well. Religious, for lack of a better for, word. for lack of a better term, and the single life, if you want to consider that a vocation, which we can talk about later on, would be uh, I guess a subset of lay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so studying to pre- priest one day, God willing, we will have a lot of um, interaction with people in all three states of life, uh, because people who are fulfilling their vocations uh, well are are growing. They're growing in communion, and so. These these vocations they kind of connect to each other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, as our um, seminarian friend uh, Deacon Mark Simpson would say, "Good vocations come from uh, good families, right?" Yeah. So good priests would come from uh, good families, which started with the married life, and good uh, men that are called to be husbands, uh, you know, would also make good priests, um, and so. Uh, that, that's going to be a reoccurring theme here, I think, is that idea of communion and how all all these states of life, they're not just isolated from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, they they each serve in. the other, They yeah. do, yeah. Um, 
And so, uh, let's see. In marriage, <clears throat> uh, just to break these down, and then we can talk more about these um, in detail. But in marriage, two people consent freely to marry, uh, make vows to God, and to love each other till death and to raise children. Uh, whereas clerics make promises to their bishop to pray the divine office daily, to be obedient to our ordinary, the bishop and his successors, and to remain celibate. And religious make vows publicly uh, of poverty, chastity, obedience to God, and typically um, life in a community. And so these are your typical friars, monks, sisters, and nuns. Um, But I wanted to make that distinction between promises and vows. Uh, As priests, we'll be making promises, uh, which is to somebody else, in our case, a bishop or the local ordinary, Um, whereas in marriage and religious life, they're making vows, which is to God um, directly. And so, uh, so yeah. Um, and then we have uh, the debated, as it were, uh, single life. And so, just in your mind, what do you guys think about um, single life as a vocation? Do you think it's legitimate? Does it hold up to the other three? Or does it, uh, is it kind of like a, a fancy way of just saying I could be a holy bachelor <laughs> as it were so. well this one is um, I think it's difficult because every state in life is worthy right God does call us at different times in our lives to be in different ways mm-hmm. um, one reason I struggle with accepting the single life as a vocation is because it seems a little too open-ended to me Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, I'm single right now, but if I later feel called to religious life or priesthood, I'd be willing to go. Yeah. Or yeah. if I meet the love of my life, I would leave the single life right. to get married. Right. Um, so it's not a permanent state, whereas marriage is until death, until mm-hmm. death do we part. Um, the priesthood and religious life, these are lifelong, right? Permanent vows in religious life. Yeah. Um, lifelong and even for longer than lifelong, even into heaven, priests are marked um, with the character of holy orders. Mm-hmm. And that's why priesthood is not considered a single vocation. Right. Um, that character, that indelible mark on the soul received during holy orders. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's a good perspective. And I think that's why I have trouble with calling the single life a vocation. If you want to talk about the single life as a vocation, it has to be understood, I think, in a context of consecrated Single Which would life. then make it religious. I think, well, that would, they would be considered lay at that point. I, I th- think. Yeah, I think historically oh. consecrated virgins were considered lay. Lay, yeah. So religious are very, very specifically, and this is why I don't consider religious single. They are, they are consecrated to be part of but what, their community. But in that vocation, that it's not sacramental. Even the religious life is not a sacramental vocation. It's not. That's correct. In yeah. marriage, in the sacrament of marriage, there's a bond that is formed mm-hmm. between the two parties, the two spouses. Right. In holy orders, um, an indelible mark is made on the soul, marking that person as a part of the hierarchy. Of right. The sacramental. Yeah. In religious life and in consecrated version in the single life, I don't know, like... In that vocation, there's yeah. nothing that specifically marks that person in an eschatological sense for God. Well, in the religious life, I thought they w- would be considered eschatological signs. And when we say eschatological signs, 
we mean that they are living the evangelical counsels of poverty, chastity, obedience, um, in a way, in, in, in such a way to, as to imitate Christ, which speaks to our end, right? That, yeah, like, sure. The end that we're all called to. But the church but, has never recognized this as a sacrament. No. Well, so I no. think an important difference, right, is those vocations that are marked by a sacrament, sacrament of uh, matrimony or the uh, holy sacrament orders. of holy yeah. orders, um, are issues where the church helps you discern your vocation. I don't, I don't decide to be a priest. The church discerns along with me, and mm-hmm. you know, I might feel that I have discerned that I've got a call to, to be a priest, but it's the church that decides if I have a call. You know, if uh, I feel that I have a vocation to marriage through pre-cana, the church discerns with me. Yeah. Right? The, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why discernment to religious life takes so long. You know, you uh, you go through your your um, apostolancy, and, yeah, your apostolancy, and, and then your novitiate, yeah, yeah. and then you can take temporary vows for <clears throat> five years up to twice. Mm-hmm. You know, so end to end, somebody could spend fifteen years discerning yeah, yeah. because it's not a bishop that's helping you discern; it's not uh, you know a priest and the whole of the church helping you discern; it's the local community helping you discern mm-hmm. the community of religious that you're in. Um. And it's the same way with uh, the single life, right? It's like that is you discerning a call to the single life alongside of the community. But it's it's not marked by a sacrament because this is more uh, you learning to discern yeah, God's yeah. will expressed in your life. I, think, I don't know. I hear I hear what you're saying, but I would not – I would be cautious in saying that religious life is not discerned on the part of the entire church because a bishop goes to accept those vows. And there's the, a local and the superior, is, yeah. and the superior who sits as the leader of whatever community speaks in the name of the church, bringing this person in to take on those counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience yeah, yeah. to be that eschatolo- eschatological sign. Hard word, yeah. <laughs> of of what it means, what what all people are in fact called to um, when we ultimately are right. united to Christ in mm-hmm. the next life. Right, and so, I think, and that's and that's what gets to the heart of the word vocation is that it is external. It is a calling. Mm-hmm. And so you just don't willy-nilly, you know, say, I'm going to be this person, and then bam, you're that person. And, it's and it's a response to a call. And we've already mm-hmm. said that a vocation is meant for the good of the entire church. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but going back to this distinction between lay and religious, I think, I think the issue at hand is not whether or not it's sacramental or not, but whether or not it's of the world or not. I think the idea of a lay person is that they are called to be in the world in the world where religious and clerics are not well so much. I, I, think, I think I think it might be useful to make a clarification too for the sake of our listeners, right? Because like for the Protestants that are out there, we're used to using the word term the the religious as an adjective. That is a religious person over there. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to make it clear that when we're talking about religious, we're talking about capital R religious, yes. which is a state of life in the church. Right. And that's where the confusion comes in, as I said earlier, about the parishioner calling me brother. Yeah. Thinking yeah. that, oh, are you, sorry, are you religious? You know, are you, what does it mean to be a seminarian, a priest? We're starting to be clerics. We're not clerics yet. Um, but that's distinct from being a religious, well, and to be which fair is to, not lay. Well, and to be fair to that parishioner, right? There was a, 
there's been a lot of confusion about oh, yeah. no, absolutely. about a, things yeah. in the church for a while. Yeah. And so, you know, there was one seminary, which shall remain nameless, that in the 70s, for the sake of building more community, had the seminarians call each other brother. Mm. And that was, they, that wasn't an isolated incident, but it's one that I know of for a fact. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so some of these people are kind of a product of exposure to that. Like, oh, I'm supposed to call him brother. Absolutely. Because that's what they saw well, 40 or 50 yeah, years ago. right, right, right. Even people who... I mean, seminarians exist also in the state of limbo vocationally. Yeah. <laughs> because in the eyes of the world, we're no longer a part of secular society. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've withdrawn into the seminary. We're living a life very similar to the priest. Yeah. But they do understand we're not a priest. And in some cultures, they it is the acceptable thing to just refer to seminarians as brothers. Yeah, yeah. I know um, during my pastoral year, the Vietnamese uh, sisters, Dominican sisters, Called me brother. Right. Because they had no other name yeah. in their language. Yeah. And when I went to Mexico, the same thing. There was mm-hmm. a lot of people called me brother. Um, yeah. yeah. Because we are in this limbo. We're not yet father, but there is, while we are, a lot of this has, it revolves around the understanding of the vocations canonically. Mm, yeah. The canonical status is what defines the vocation. Right. Really. Right. Um, and so for seminarians... Canonically, we are still lay people. Right, right. Um, in a single life, since it's not a vocation, according to Jonathan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. That's Sorry, Sister, Sister Clementine, if you're listening to this, I stand with your first grade religious education uh, that I received. Uh, but we are single and not yet co- ho- uh, in holy orders. Yeah. Um, but but we're just in this kind of bouncing. Canonically, there's a very strict sense of, of where we are. Yeah. But the lived reality is something different, I think. Mm-hmm. And people see that. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to The Seminary Show on St. Gabriel Ra- Catholic Radio, AM 820. You can hear this show every Saturday at 1130 and Sunday at 1 p.m. And in the audio archives at stgabrielradio.com. I'm Jonathan Torres from the Diocese of Charlotte. Joining me are Dalton Irvin from Victoria, Texas, and Gordon Mott from Columbus, Ohio. So we've been talking about vocations, uh, the states of life that the church gives us to grow in holiness, marriage, priesthood, religious life, and consecrated single life there. (laughs) If you want to say single life, then it needs to be clarified like that, I believe. Um, And we've been talking about the distinction between lay, what does it mean to be lay or religious, clerical, um, and I think to continue that conversation, I think like if someone is, for example, a young man is dating a girl, would he consider himself single? No, right? He would be considered not single. Exactly. He's dating. I think the same is for us as seminarians. We're not single, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that term is defined by whether or not you are taken by somebody. And in our case, we would be taken by the church, right? Sure. We're, we're dating the church <laughs> in, a, in, a, in layman's terms. Well, in fact, we're more like fiancés with the church right well, now because we're candidates. Well, that's so. true. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. And for us who got their call to order, orders, I'm still waiting on mine. Um, you know, they, they set the, uh, the, the date is set. So yeah. that's good. The wedding date is set. <laughs> <laughs> so, but... um. Yeah, so I think in, in, in a further distinction that could be made, too, is that we are studying to be secular priests. So 
in that sense, we're not religious. We are going to be in the world ministering. Uh, that's where our priesthood would play out. Mm-hmm. Whereas a religious brother, monk, um, can be a priest, but his primary vocation is as a religious. Um, and yeah. that priesthood would serve his community uh, in, the, in the same way that secular priests serve their community at large in the world, um, in a diocesan setting mm-hmm. or, or whatnot. So. Yeah, there was something you mentioned earlier, Jonathan, about it takes, not always, there are good priests that come from, from families that aren't the status quo or anything like that. But typically, good priests come from good families. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was thinking about that. And, you know, really, every, every vocation in the church necessitates an understanding, a good understanding of holy marriage. Mm-hmm. Because we talk about, you, you said, you know, the call to orders or, you know, it's like setting the wedding date and all this. Yeah. Um, well, to understand the wedding date, you have to understand wedding, which is about marriage. Mm-hmm. So, like, the priest makes no sense fully without understanding marriage. Yeah. Uh, Christ and his bride, the church, makes no sense without understanding husband and wife. Right, right. Um, the, the woman religious as a bride of Christ makes no sense without understanding what a bride really is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why, in in this whole talk about vocation, I think especially in the church, we overlook marriage as, in fact, being a religious vocation. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Yeah, and I think, yeah, that's really important. And I think there's a sense of, in my, in my, in my um, personal experience, when I was growing up, I was like, okay, am I going to be called to be a priest? Should I discern that? Okay, maybe I should discern that. Spend time in prayer, talk to my priest, my uh, pastor. And if I wasn't called, I would fall back on marriage as though it was an afterthought. Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't have to discern marriage almost. Yeah, yeah. That's um, the given. That's, that's the, the given, given vocation. Yeah. When in fact, uh, marriage is a sacrament. It's still, uh, it's, it, it bestows on the couple and the family sanctifying grace. And it can't be taken lightly. Some may call it the primordial sacrament. Well, and that yeah, and, well, and that gets to the that gets to the issue of, well, not an issue, but the distinction between marriage as a natural mm-hmm. vocation and then the priesthood and religious life as supernatural vocations. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's really that's a that's an interesting distinct, distinction. What do you guys think about? Um, how, how would how would you consider holiness in playing part of uh, vocations? I think there's a tendency to think of these vocations as hierarchically meant for like holier people or less holy people. You know, oh, the married people aren't meant to be as holy as priests, and the religious life are, you know, maybe considered the holiest because they're giving mm-hmm. everything away. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on 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 that? I think you definitely. Uh probably gathered or gathered or presented the general consensus in that little piece right there, you know, that the priests are called to be holy, but then we know the religious, those are the really holy people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think what a great gift to the church, the the consecration, not the consecration, the canonization of the parents of Therese of Lisieux mm, being yeah. canonized together, the first married couple ever at the same time yeah. canonized to show that it is from holy marriages that holy children come forth, mm-hmm. right? Because you have Therese of Lisieux, and you had, what, two of her other sisters 
Yeah. Or four of her sisters, of other five or also six. in her yeah. religious life. Yeah. And all of that, and all of their writings and spiritual journals, you mm-hmm. hear that they learned it from their father yeah. and mother. Yeah. What what true holiness meant. Yeah. Um, so I think the church has always known this, but it's just getting to the point of, of showing, expressing it in a way um, that every Catholic, every Christian can understand. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I think it's it's a danger to think of, you know, the vows that the religious take as poverty, chastity, obedience as being just for them. Mm-hmm. That's what they do. I'm not taking those vows, so I don't need to worry about those yeah. councils, the evangelical councils, as we would call them. That's wrong. And each person is called to live those councils as best they can in their states of life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so even the married couple is called to live a life of chastity, you know, yes. and in, in regards to their own sexuality, um, there are boundaries and expressions. And they belong that, to one another. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, poverty, you know, living, living a, um, a simple way of life and not going for the most extravagant possibility for every, you know, decision you make. Um, these, are, these are just things that all Christians are called mm-hmm. to. And mm-hmm. so holiness is not restricted to any particular state of life. It's, it's, we're all called to holiness, and that's the universal vocation for all of us. And so ultimately these states of life are a kind of subset to that one vocation that all priests, religious, married people, single people are called to, and that is being holy. And so... I think that's uh, that's my thoughts on it. Gordon, I don't know if you had any um, thoughts. Well, I mean, holiness really just consists in an act of self-abandonment, right? Or like radical self-donation. Mm-hmm. And so when the religious like goes to the cloister, the radical self-donation is to, to God himself. Mm-hmm. Right? When it's uh, religious with an apostolate out in the world, it's a radical self-donation to the church. Yeah. Right. The, uh, and you know, that would be for like the religious priests that are members of community. Um, for married life, it's radical self-donation to your spouse and then radical self-donation to your kids. Mm-hmm. You know, how many times have you uh, heard parents that their kid was suffering or going through something terrible? And they're like, well, I'd, I'd rather it be me. Mm-hmm. You know, that's love. The, uh, and for the the secular priest, the diocesan priest, the the radical self donation is to his flock. Yeah, you know, the um, so when you know you're in trouble at two in the morning and you need an anointing, you know he's the one that comes a running. Yeah, you know, yeah. the uh, and for the the single life, you know, the more that I think about it, I I, I thinking about this lady from my parish. Her name's Betty. And she passed last year. And on the south end here in Columbus, you had this phenomenon of what they used to call neighborhood moms, right? That some nice lady, her children were grown, or maybe they weren't, um, but she kind of spiritually adopted other kids in the neighborhood and treated them like they were her own, you know? So her motherhood extended beyond, you know, physically mothering children, you know, but into kind of adopting and nurturing kids out in the the area. And that's, and I think that there's an understated importance to spiritual motherhood or spiritual fatherhood expressed through vocations to the single life, right? 
because we know that the world isn't perfect and we know that people come from imperfect family situations. And we also know that the family is the school of holiness. And so then, you know, it seems quite wonderful and humbling that out of God's infinite mercy and goodness, that for those kids on the South end and, you know, a not great a part of town that come from maybe not a great family, mm-hmm. that there are these holy ladies like Betty who were always baking fresh goods and going over their homework with the neighborhood kids and yeah. making sure they had a safe place to play. You know, that lady sanctified uh, more, many, many, many more people just by this act of radical self-donation to people she didn't even know Yeah. than, uh, than, than many of us. Yeah, and know? I think that, that that gets to the heart of what these states of life are ultimately aimed towards is giving to the other and, and in service, right? We mm-hmm. say that... Um, Marriage and the priesthood are sacraments of service. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it's it's dangerous to, to kind of rely on these states of life as a safe haven, as if, oh, I'll be safe here and I'll be most comfortable here and, you know, I can fulfill my wishes here. Mm-hmm. It's all these vocations are first and foremost to give of yourself to mm-hmm. the other. And that's where that community aspect comes in to play where it's all for the other. And that's where the vocations start to intertwine more and mm-hmm. you're giving and, and getting uh, as a good community should. I remember there's a story of um, Mother Angelica I heard years ago on the TV when she used to be on TV <laughs> um, where she had a young girl come to her wanting to be a postulant in her religious order. And as, she, as Mother Angelica was getting to know this girl, um, she got the sense that she was running away from her life and she just wanted to kind of use the cloister as as a, a shelter against the world and she denied her uh entrance and she said no you need to go and face uh the world uh, i think that's your calling so uh the the cloister is not a a place for cowards yeah. you know same thing happens in the bells of saint mary's at the end. Oh, I haven't seen that. I have not <laughs> seen did. that movie and I can't remember how long. I got it on DVD if Maybe you want to 20 years. It. Didn't it also happen in The Sound of Music? I seem to Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's like true. That. Yeah. Maybe Mother Angelica was just ripping off these, uh, <laughs> these classics. <laughs> no. No, no, no. It's real, real life. Real life. Real life. Like Pope John Paul II said in Veritatis Splendor, God reveals divine truths through ordinary human experiences all that's the time. Right. So there that's you are. right. That's a quotable right there. So, well, on that, that note... Um, We'll end the show. Thanks for joining us for today's Seminarian Show. You can hear this show every Saturday at 11.30 and Sunday at 1 p.m. and in the audio archives at stgabrielradio.com. Let us end with a prayer. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, pray pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The Seminarians is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of The Seminarians and all of our locally produced programs are available at stgabrielradio.com. Veni, Sancti.